I'm going to pray as well. Father, the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. We welcome your presence. Open up your word to us by the Holy Spirit and convince us to yield because you're your ways best and you're good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Let's see here. Glasses. Okay. So um continuing to have coffee with Jesus. And uh let's see. Today he's got a strong blend. Um and he says some tough things, some really hard things. Some things that are so hard and so difficult to understand that sometimes when we can't understand them, we're tempted just to walk away. And the problem isn't that what he's saying is bad or wrong um, or cruel or unfair or just bizarre. The problem is we're too little to understand it. And if you always go into your conversations with Jesus, assuming that if he says something that upsets you, it's not because he's not good. It's because you're not smart enough to understand what he's doing. And then once he explains to you what it is that he's up to, you go, oh, oh, okay, I see it now. Does anybody, can anybody relate to that? Let me see those hands. Yeah. When you're a new believer, you want to run across one really difficult thing. Um, uh, what's what's what, a favorite difficult verse? Who are you, old man, to answer back to God? The thing molded does not say to the molder, why did you make me like this way? Oh, so he's just this cosmic bully, does whatever he wants. Well, heck with that. I'm going to go I'm gonna go look into Buddhism or something. That seems a little more peaceful. Um, no, if you run across something that you're not understanding, uh, it's because you lack the spiritual insight. To put it together right, because once he shows you what it actually means, uh, what is that phrase in Romans 12? That he may prove that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. So once you finally figure it out, you're like, ah. So right now, I guarantee you, some of you guys are trying to read through Job. You're like, God is such a jerk. I can't believe it. Um, nope, he's not a jerk. You're just too small to understand the goodness that's actually going on behind what's being said. So going out uh, for coffee with Jesus, and I'm like, Jesus, all right, well, can we just talk about that whole issue of the hard things that you say that are tie my brain in knots, and I have friends, they've walked away from you because some of the difficult things you say. One of my most comforting passages throughout my entire Christian life has come from John 6, I think I brought this up a few weeks ago. This is when Jesus is um, telling this crowd that's following him for the wrong reasons, because we can all follow Jesus for the wrong reasons. Uh, if I said, how many of you at some point were following God for the wrong reasons, raise your hand. Everybody would have to raise your hand. Everybody does. You guys are good hand raisers. Everybody's like, well, of course. Yeah, I wanted, I wanted a spouse. I wanted a job. I wanted to get out of a jam. I wanted the promotion, something. Um, and God's like, well, that's not really. So, so this, this crowd was following him because he could do miracles. And especially, uh, he had just made, he'd done the miracle with the loaves and fishes and he fed 5,000. Like, man, let's make this guy king. Cause I'm just like, Hey, king, do this. And Hey, king, do that. Um, 
So Jesus says some things he knows that they're going to misinterpret. And he knows it will cause them to stop coming after him because Jesus doesn't want people following him for the wrong reasons. He wants people to know who he really is, what he's really about, and he wants us to follow him for the right reasons. So after he he tells them, this is before all of us are like, oh, I know exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about the bread and the wine and the Lord's table. Well, they had no frame of reference for that at this point. So he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. So if we had no background, no frame of reference, and I'm just teaching you, I'm your leader, and I say, hey, unless you guys eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't be a part of this group. I mean, it, you'd clear the place out. You'd be like, we're gone. We're, you know, we're going to go try the Methodist church or something, maybe the Pentecostal church. So it says, therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a difficult or a hard statement. Who can listen to it? And then a little later, it says, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So how many people think they know what God is saying, what God is doing, and they get frustrated? That whole issue of being mad at God, which again, we could do the hand-raising thing, but how many of us have been mad because of something he should have done that he didn't, or something we thought he did that he shouldn't have, or why didn't he break in, or why did he let that happen, or why did he script it out that way, or, you know, and we could get really personal. We talked a few weeks ago about bitterness. And we brought up the issue of childhood sexual abuse. You know, it's like, why didn't God fix that? Why didn't he break in? Why did he let it happen? What? And uh, people, because they can't figure out what he's up to or the things that he says or how things fit together, and they think they know, they bail out. As a result, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the 12, you don't want to go away also, do you? And then Simon Peter, who gets a bad rap, because he's so ready to jump out even when he doesn't know what he's doing. But God could use a lot more people. He, he, he can use those kind of people a lot more easily than he can use the people that are sitting around wringing their hands, afraid to do anything. Simon Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I have no idea what you're talking about, Jesus. No clue. But I know enough to know that what it is that I need and that deepest longing in my soul, you got the goods. So I may be totally confused right now, not be able to answer my friends or my parents when they say, you know, what about this theological issue or that theological issue? Or why is there only one way? Or how can a person be God and man at the same time? And why didn't God let people, you know, who loved each other, well, you know, why is God against fornication or homosexuality or LGBTQ or STV, WXYZ or whatever? Why is he, why is the Bible this way? It makes me mad. I want to, um, and you say, I, I don't know. I, you know, I just got saved two weeks ago. I don't know. But I know that what I've gotten a hold of is real and it's changing my life. And I'm starting to experience peace and joy. And you should say this, I don't have a good answer for you today. But let me pray about it and look into it, because I know there's a good answer. You can say that. I know there's a good answer to your question. I just don't know. So that's the situation here. So uh, what I'm actually going to look at today is a question that I've had for years. So, Jesus, you say some tough stuff. And I'm, personally, I'd say, and I've been puzzling over this from, through, for years, 
and it comes from one of the best known passages in the whole Bible. And I say it over and over and over, and I affirm it that it's true, but I don't know what it means. So um, let's just look right at it. Jesus, you say some tough stuff, and let me bring one up to you. So I've been following you, and I haven't let this throw me off. If you, every time you find a question you can't answer, you're like, oh, my faith is in crisis. Man, you're going to be a miserable person. You get to have a big old back burner. Put it on your back burner. There's a good answer. I just don't have it today. And I've found some things that used to trip me up, and I kind of laugh at myself, my naive 19, 20, 25-year-old, 35-year-old self. Um, and I would guess that 10,000 years from now in glory, you're going to have some unanswered questions. Because God's infinite, his love is infinite, his wisdom is infinite, his creativity is infinite, His and we're always going to be finite beings that are always progressing and growing, which means there's always going to be stuff we don't know that he knows. So it shouldn't surprise you when you come across these issues. But every time you come across one, you can't bail out. So I'm gonna. So Jesus, we're out here for coffee, and uh, let me just raise one that's come up. We've been talking a lot about prayer, and uh, there's one in the Lord's Prayer that has tripped me up for years and years. So let's look at it. The Lord's Prayer um, comes from the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Matthew chapter 6, particularly, our Father who's in heaven, and we've looked at a bunch of these statements in previous weeks, hallowed or honored, revered, lifted up. Um, make your, your true name, your character, let it be known and honored. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day the bread we need today. Forgive us our debts, our sins. And as we forgive others, we talked a little about this. You've got, you have to be free of all bitterness so your prayers aren't going to work. So much here we have to fly past. But do not lead us into temptation. This is the line that always tripped me up. I don't know what he meant by that, given what the rest of the New Testament says about temptation. Pi, ros, mos, for you Greek students. Pi Rasmus. Oh, Joe's at home, our, our Greek teacher. Um, because that word comes up in so many interesting places. Don't lead us into this, but deliver us from evil or from the evil one. So Jesus, this really confuses me because in the first place, our church, we really like to memorize scripture. And I always have people, and I'm discipling, I always have them memorize the whole book of James. And we start with James the first chapter, and it says, consider it all joy when you encounter pyros mas, or pyros mois, it's in the plural. So why would you say, deliver us, don't lead us into temptation, but then James says, rejoice when you hit temptation? That seems kind of contradictory to me. If we're not supposed to experience temptation why is james saying rejoice when you're in temptation and this is an interesting word and uh, you hear i hear every week i say this over and over again so if you go here very long there's one technical aspect about linguistics you're going to know and that's called a semantic domain a semantic domain is how many different ways can this word that we translate temptation be used every word has a bunch of different uses and you're going to get in trouble in your bible study if you take one very 
specific technical definition of a word and you try to apply it everywhere because it doesn't work. It doesn't work in your everyday life. Any word you could give me um, and show me how you're using it in context, I could use that in a different context and it could have a different meaning. Any word. I can't think of a word. Um, even even very utility words like a and the and and they have multiple meanings. They have a whole sphere of meaning. So um, what does this word temptation, what is he saying here? It, I think the most fundamental meaning of temptation is a test. It's like a test that you're going to be hit with. And so I say, why would James say rejoice when you're tested? And why would Jesus say, pray, God, don't lead me into a test? And puzzling over this and praying over this, and I'm going to help you walk through some of this, where this word comes up. And there's a one passage in particular that's really going to help us unpack this. So I'll just give you the cheat really quick. The test the pyrosmos is coming. The question is, are you going to enter into it? Or are you going to walk over it? It's not whether or not these things are going to hit your life that will test a human soul. It's that some human beings have prepared their soul so that the pyrosmos doesn't feel like much and they don't get sucked into it. And some people's lives go into a tizzy. So it's almost like, look, the hurricane's coming. So get your house ready, board up your windows, whatever. Whatever you need to do. And the people that prepare well, when it hits, it's not a big deal. Or you could say, are you insured? Are you prepared? And there's a lot of ways we can prepare. We can prepare our souls because these things are coming but the key, I think, in the sermon, uh, I mean, in the Lord's Prayer, is it has to do with being sucked into them. And uh, I don't know, because of lack of, there's just like this example that, that always comes to mind when I think about this. A lot of you guys saw this, and Susan doesn't like me bringing it up, but it was like the test there's going to be a financial test. There's going to be a medical test. There's going to be a relational test. You're going to be persecuted. Um, you're going to have hard times. <clears throat> your engine is going to blow up and the money that you thought was going to go towards your tuition, it's going to have to go to getting your car fixed or some medical thing's going to happen. And man, I heard of somebody who's just had a baby with complications. It cost over $1 million. Um, so anyway, it was a relative of Nick and he's here. Yeah, right? A million dollars. That's a test that can wreck a person, wreck a marriage. Um, people die. Children die. People get sick. These things are coming. So the question is, you're gonna, are you going to enter into it? Or are you going to walk over it? And um, I guess what, when I think about this in my own life, and some of you guys saw this, it was uh, a couple of years ago <clears throat> when Susan got had a funny spot on her face and uh medically she doesn't have a funny face she got a lovely face but she had a funny spot on it um and uh they tested it and it came back 
and it was cancer and they didn't know how extensive it was and this kind of cancer can metastasize, et cetera, uh, metastasize. <clears throat> and I was just there when she got the news and uh, she just was kind of like, oh, praise the Lord. We'll just trust God and we'll go through this. And And I've seen other people when they hear of much less even possible medical things. They fall apart and, God, after all I've done for you, how do you do me like that? You know, whatever. And so um, she just kind of didn't miss a beat. She just didn't. And the crazy thing was, is that, again, I've never heard of this happening, but from the from you have cancer to you're clean, and it was there, was a week. A weird series of circumstances. But it was literally a week, and I'm not even going to go into it. But she hit the trial and she passed the test and God's like, oh, you don't have any need to sit in this any longer. Um, and I was just like, kind of like, wow, cool. She's She's got the goods. But I've seen people fall. I mean, she said, Tad, that really was not big a deal. I know what kind of cancer it could have been and it seldom leads to anything. And I'm like, Susan, there's there's someone who got a flat tire on the way to church and they're going to walk away from the faith. I mean, there's there's people that don't know how to go through squat. And when you think of a big trial, you know, cancers, that's just an ugly there's a book out, The Emperor of All Maladies, and it's cancer, and you're cancer, and it's like, you know, this looming monster. And she it hit her, and she's like, you know, okay. And we've had financial issues. We've had um, relational issues. So the test is coming. So here on the screen, you have a big wave. It's going to hit. I, a pastor friend used to say, you're either in a trial or you're headed for a trial. You're in a test or you're headed for a test. It's, it's just a matter of, are you going to get sucked into it? Are you going to get pulled into it? Or are you going to walk on top of it? So where this is displayed more vividly and beautifully than anywhere else in Scripture is uh, what we see happening in the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus and his disciples. There's no way the Pyros Moss isn't going to hit. Jesus is going to be delivered into the hands of evil men and crucified. And his disciples are there, and Jesus is going to be right in the middle of it. But there's, it, Jesus willingly takes this on, and it's going to be brutal. And everybody's going to be spinning and reeling, and you know they're going to strike down the shepherd, and the sheep are going to be scattered. But how people deal with it, it's fascinating. So let's just look at this. Jesus came with them to the place called Gethsemane, which means a wine press. But it's just his quiet place. It's the place evidently he and his disciples like to go. And maybe you have a quiet place that you like to go. I have a, a walk out by the lake that I'm not going to tell you where it is because nobody knows where it is. It's my walk. It's my quiet place. So he went to his quiet place and said to his disciples, sit here. Well, I heard somebody say, I know where it is. I, I saw them lean over and say, I know where that spot is. Ted's secret place. I better not catch you there. No, I'm just kidding. He's, he's in his quiet place, and he says, sit here while I go over and pray. And he took with him Peter and the sons of Zebedee. He began to be grieved and distressed. Why? He knows the wave's coming. He knows what's going to hit. Then he said, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here. Keep watch with me. He went a little beyond them, fell on his face, and prayed, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. <clears throat> so, this is one way to think of these tests. Usually, it's some crisis that's going to hit your life, and you're going to have a chance to either say, my will, which is driven by fear or lust or some lesser human motive, 
or thy will. That's that's what's when these when these crises hit, you you have a chance either to submit to God or to do something stupid and destructive and get yourself in a deeper hole. So Jesus knows what God's asking him to do. He knows the trial that's coming. And he says, not as I will, but as you will. And this is a model for us. So when the financial crisis hits, God, not the way I want to solve this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. It's one of my life verses. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he'll direct your paths. He'll make your path straight. Um, anyway, I won't go into the Hebrew, but it's actually kind of cool. It's the word know. Know him. Walk in intimacy with him. And it's all going to pan out just fine. But don't figure it out. So uh, in my humanness, Father, this doesn't look fun at all. I know what's going to happen. I know Judas is betraying me. I know uh, that I'm going to be delivered over to the hands of evil men. I know I'm going to be crucified and condemned. And all the rebellious forces of earth and hell are going to unleash their fury on me. Um, if there's any way I could get around this and still honor you, uh, could we work that out? And again, I think Jesus is just like us in his humanity. He's a God-man, but I think he's literally, usually functioning in this human mode so he can show us how to do it. So at this point, why does he take so long struggling Gethsemane? He's trying to gain certainty, clarity, understanding of how to go through this trial and why God is asking him to go through this trial. And again, we like to think that Jesus or the apostles, they weren't like us. They, again, had an easy button, and Jesus is just sitting there with his arm folded. Yeah, I'm going to be crucified. Yeah, all the rebellious forces in earth and hell, they're going to tear me to ribbons and jam a crown of thorns and all, all my friends are going to, you know, reject me, but you know, I'm, I'm above all that. I don't really have human emotions and I don't, I don't feel pain, you know, go ahead here. Watch this. I'll cut my, say, I don't feel pain. No, he was a real human being. This looks awful. Uh, and so he's wrestling in the garden. He's praying if possible. Can I get around this, but not what I want, what you want. If this is the only way for your will to be accomplished, let's do it. He came to his disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, you men couldn't keep watch with me for one hour. Keep watching and praying. So when he says keep watching, he means pray, pray, pray. Something horrendous is coming. Pray, pray, pray that you may not enter into parasmas, pyrosmas. Pray that you won't get sucked into it. It upends you like a tsunami that just washes over you instead of being on a boat riding on top of it. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So Jesus is praying fervently. He's praying that God's will be accomplished. He's praying that he be in agreement with God through the whole thing. And the wrestling happens in the prayer time before the trial hits. Because when... when Everything comes down. Is Jesus crying and shaking and falling on the ground in the fetal position? When Judas gives him the kiss and when all his disciples go running, he's already steeled his soul. He says, look, the wave's going to hit. I'm, I am cool and calm and peaceful because I know what God is up to. And I know nothing's out of control. 
I'm in the center of his will and everything's going to turn out just fine. I don't know if I can communicate this to you. Uh, the trial's coming in your life and there's some of you in here, you take your time with the Lord every morning. And you say, search me, oh God, know my heart, try me, know my anxious thoughts. See if there's anything out of whack in me. Straighten it out because I don't know what might be hitting me today. I might be betrayed. My father might reveal that he's been cheating on my mother. My sibling might tell me they have cancer. Someone that I love may like forsake me. The, the, the main person you know, that I'm depending on as a Christian might deny their faith today. All these things are real life things. My favorite Christian hero and author, it may come out that he's a farce today. Am I ready for the wave that's going to hit? The doctor might say cancer today, might say HIV today. My spouse might say I'm leaving today. So Jesus is wrestling it all out in prayer before it even hits. So when it hits, he is just, he's sweating drops of blood in his prayer time. He's not sweating drops of blood in front of the Roman soldiers. He's not breaking down when he gets the kiss from Judas. He's like, I'm at perfect peace. Because I know the wave's going to hit, but my soul has been steeled. I'm not going to get sucked into this thing, thrown all out of whack by this thing. So he tells his disciples, guys, you should be doing the same thing here. Hmm. I'll get really personal. Some of you guys, uh, you have beautiful little children. Guess what? They're going to get into some ugly situations, some of them. I don't receive that in Jesus' name. All right, I hope that works for you. But some of the most godly people I know, the devil mug their kids, drag them off into the darkness for a season. Is your soul steeled and ready for that? The trial's coming. So Jesus is in prayer because he knows what's coming. He tells his disciples, you better buckle down. You couldn't pray for an hour? What's the matter with you? We try to get everybody in the church to pray for an hour a day. That's so extreme. Well, it's one of the reasons that a lot of us got to throw our meds away. And, and, you know, don't go to our counselor anymore. It's because we learned that we can gain strength and wisdom and insight from the presence of God. So when these waves hit. This is interesting because the only two places in Matthew where this, this uh, pyrosmos word occurs is in the prayer and here. If I'm remembering properly. Only there and there. So Jesus is like, hey, you, or Matthew, when he's writing it, connect the dots here. This is how you do it. And it's the same preposition. Pray that you may not enter into it. It's ace. Into. You get sucked into it. Jesus doesn't get sucked into it. Man, the disciples, they go bonkers. Peter denies Jesus. Mark runs off with his naked because the soldier ripped his clothes off. I mean, the other disciples, I mean, they're, they're crazy. They're like the Keystone cops are banging into each other. They don't know what's going on. And Jesus is just skating through it. He went away again, a second time and prayed, saying, Father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Again, he came and found them sleeping. Their eyes were heavy. He left them and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping? 
and resting. The hour is at hand. The wave is crashing down right now, and you guys aren't ready. I'm being betrayed in the hands of sinners. Get up. Let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. And then all hell breaks loose, but Jesus knows it's all okay because it's all going to turn out fine in the end. So James says, consider it all joy when you hit different crazy trials. And then he says something really interesting. So let's jump over to James. Let no one say when he is tempted. Now here we take that word, pyrosmos, and we turn it into a verb. And here you go from a test to you actually being stretched and pulled and crushed and yanked around by it. If you're prepared for a test, um, it doesn't have to hit you very hard. All through the gospel narratives, people are trying to test Jesus. They use this. Idea, they're trying to pull him in. And a lot of times he just laughs at them. He's like, you call that a test? You know, it's like some of us like to play fight with little boys. You know, little boys like to wrestle. Um, and my boys liked to wrestle when I was, when they were growing up. And sometimes they figured that if they could get more than one of them on me, they could take me. And I would just like laugh at them because they're just like these little tiny guys. And that's how, not anymore, they're big guys. And, but um, that's how Jesus saw most of his tests. It does say that the uh, Satan tested Jesus in the wilderness, and it says that God brought him out to the wilderness, but he's fasting, which is an intensified form of prayer, so every single temptation that came, he stayed on top of it. He didn't get sucked into it. He didn't, oh, maybe I should worship the devil and listen to his plan for saving the world, because I really want the world, and it does seem to be a shorter cut, and the offer's right here, and God's plan looks really hard, so no, he just wham, wham, wham. He just knocks him down, and he's doing this in the context of prayer, but uh, in James, it says, when you're stuck in to a temptation, when you're no longer on top of the temptation, don't blame God for it. The problem is not God. You're in a world where these things are going to hit you. Jesus, Jesus uh, in Matthew 6 says, pray, don't lead us into temptation. And then he's led into a situation where, where these crises hit. And then in Gethsemane, he said, look, the crisis is coming. Pray to the, ask the disciples that you know, to pray don't, that you won't be led into temptation, but he knows the test is coming. So it seems kind of contradictory, but I think it's all about the into. It's being sucked into it. But he says, when you're sucked into it, don't blame God for it. Let no one say when he's tempted, and this is turning that word into a verb, I'm being tempted by God. Now this is, a, again, super technical. It's a, it's a one-time one used word in the entire New Testament. God is untemptable which means he, he's never uh, potentially sucked in and thrown off to morally compromise like we are by evil. He, evil evil's not appealing to him. It's appealing to you. He himself does not tempt anyone. So when the test comes, God's not the one that's causing you to buckle and give and struggle. Uh, he said, you're the problem. You are the problem. When you want to deny the faith because you come across a scripture verse you can't uh, understand or translate, or one of your friends leaves a faith, or your pastor who baptized you cheated on his wife and left the faith, or whatever, 
and suddenly you're thrown into a tizzy. Uh, or you want to get married, and uh, the only thing that you can find is a half-baked Christian and who wants to morally compromise. You're like, oh, God's probably never going to come through for me, and whatever. Uh, so you sin, you get tempted, and you get into a bad relationship. It's, don't blame God for that. This is not God's fault. Each of you is tempted. Each of you gets sucked in when you're carried away and enticed by your own lust. These are your own misdirected sinful human desires. Our lusts usually are God-given desires that we have aiming at the wrong target. He said, your problem, it's not that God put you in a situation because God is cruel and God's trying to mess you up. You are in a world where tests are always going to be coming. Are you ready for them? And are you going to be on top of them? Or are you going to be sucked into them? And he says, everyone is tempted when he's enticed and carried away by his own lust, his own uh, God-given desires, but they're tempted to, we're tempted to use them in ungodly ways. When lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Don't be deceived, my beloved brethren. God's not doing this to you. Your problem is you. The disciples' problem was not that God was mean. God's trying to save the world, and a byproduct of trying to save the world is there's going to be a tidal wave coming, and you better buckle down and be ready for it like Jesus is ready for it. So Jesus tells his disciples, you could be ready for this and go through this, but you're, you're sleeping. You haven't prepared your soul. This is why we take our hour in the morning in prayer and our hour in the morning in Scripture, because we're trying to steal our soul for the next wave that's going to hit. And you should get to the point in Christian life where you don't feel like there's anything that can hit you that will ruin you. And people say, impossible. And then I'll say, how much time do you spend in prayer? How much time do you spend in the Word? How many years have you been at it? And... and I would venture to guess it's the person that has all kinds of excuses as to why they don't need to be in the Word and they don't need to be in prayer. Maybe it's a everything happens for a reason kind of people. And I like the sign that I put on our group me every so often. Everything happens for a reason. Yeah, the reason is usually that you're stupid and you make bad decisions. That's usually the reason. Don't blame it on God. And he says here, if you do blame it on God, you're deceived. Don't be deceived. The problem's not with God. The problem's with you. You're not taking your time and steal your soul. When I say steal, I'm not mispronouncing to abscond with something. Or take, I'm, I'm saying turn it into steel. That's what Jesus did in the garden. Before the wave hit, he was ready. When it hit, you watch him go through, cool as a cucumber. They're beating him, spitting on him, rejecting him, nailing him to the cross. No bitterness. Father, forgive him. They don't know what they're doing. This all happened in his time in God's presence. And then he, he says, don't be, don't be deceived. Every good thing bestowed or given, every good, perfect gift is from above. God is good. Good means good. He's only good. He's always good. If you think he's unjust, you think he's bad, you think he's doing something cruel, it's because you're scrambled in the head. We're going to have tests, but if we're strong enough, most tests don't have to feel like tests. And the stronger you get, the more you can go through. As a young believer, you can't go through much. Oh, my goodness, I joined this church and my parents don't like it. Maybe I should quit. You know, oh, I want to go on a mission trip, but my parents want me to become a dentist. So, oh, maybe it's God's will that I honor my... Well, the Bible says honor your parents. So I guess I don't have to... All my friends think I'm weird because I'm praying, playing worship music in the car. Like, we're so weak when we're first... But, but then, then when you get stronger and stronger in this. No matter what hits your life, 
Jesus can, Jesus can be crucified. The early apostles could be martyred. We can hear bankruptcy. We can hear you're fired. We can hear people we love and admire buckle, and we don't buckle. Every good thing given, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation, or shifting shadows. So for me, I was like, oh, after all these years, I just like, I don't know what to do with this. Jesus says, pray that you wouldn't enter in temptation. And then he's brought into the wilderness where he's tempted. And then Gethsemane, he's tempted. And the apostles say, rejoice when you're tempted. And then Paul says, no temptation is going to overtake you, but such as is common. So is God not being faithful? Does he want us just to live off on some little paradise island? What was that show when I was a kid? Fantasy Island, where everything, you just pull up aces, everything's perfect, nothing goes wrong. I'm tempted to do the plane. I don't know if any of you guys know that show. Boss, the plane, the plane. He'd bring it up. Anyway, look it up. Fantasy Island. Does God want us to live on Fantasy Island where there's no trials? There's no can cancer on Fantasy Island. There's no rejection. There's no betrayal. There's no financial difficulty. There's no medical problems. There's no persecution. In the parable of the soils in Matthew 13, 13 Jesus says, you know what happens to the Christians who don't have roots? What gives you roots? The word. Believe the mind of Christ. People don't have roots. Persecution and affliction, trials, trouble hit them. They fall away. It's not because God's not good. It's not because God's not going to give us tools. Because again, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, no pyrosmos has hit you. Such is common. God's faithful. He's not going to let you be tempted to be on what you're able. He's going to provide a way of escape. So for me... This was amazing. This was like, oh. So you say, you use this word in the prayer, and then you show us how it's done in the Gethsemane narrative. I need to prepare myself. How do I prepare myself? I prepare myself. What does James say? If any of you lacks wisdom. I think that's what Jesus is doing in the garden. He's saying, Father, help me to understand this. Help me to wrap my brain around this. Help me to understand this is the only way. Help me to understand this is the best way. To the point where I'm I'm happy to and to know that you're going to strengthen me and bring me through it and bring me through death and out the other side. Just let me know that you're with me and I'm in the center of your will. Then I'm fine. That's why we get our noses in the word. Because you are going to be tested. But the stronger you become, just like Susan, that wasn't much of a test. It was like, eh, whatever. And literally, I've seen people get hear, hear the cancer diagnosis. They fall apart. Ministry people, I mean, it's people that should be more mature, financial trouble, rejection. Um, we, we need to be ready. Man, some of you guys are going to hit this. You're going to get pop this week. It's coming. I reject that. I don't receive that negative word in the name of Jesus. I only receive positive words. It's coming, man. The apostles are thrown in prison. What were they doing? Singing hallelujah. Praising Jesus. Oh, man. Wasn't that, wasn't that a great little thing I sent on the group me? So many people. R.A. Tori. That's a great book. Did you anybody look into that book this week? How to pray? All these people praying, oh, God, baptize me with the Holy Ghost. Baptize me with the Holy Spirit. He said, if, if you knew what that would bring in, rejection, persecution, you have ministry people. You're going to have to resign from your big cushy church and go to the slums. You know, I think of uh, a revival in the 1950s. I forget, Duncan Campbell. 
if you knew, you would say, God, don't fill me with the Holy Spirit. God, don't give me that anointing. I don't want that. Trials come and it comes to the most godly people. But God wants us to be on top of it and not stuck into it. Pray that you wouldn't enter into the trial and the temptation. You skate over it. You'd ride it out. Uh, and you can remain perfectly tranquil, peaceful, like the apostles when they're thrown in prison. They're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they get thrown in prison. Some of them are killed, and they're still at peace because they know they're in the center of God's will. So I hope this made sense because, man, this was really, really helpful for me. I know I'm going to hit a trial. Um, it's really fun to have wonderful, godly people around me to help me go through every trial. We're going to pray with me, stand with me, makes life a lot easier, but there's times where you're all alone. And uh, in my mind, I'm thinking of, again, I, I, I bring this up every so often, but when I first came to Manhattan, man, I was all alone. Uh, Susan and I, we left a wonderful church because God told us to. And we came here and I just felt like everybody thought I was crazy. Um, I was trying to do this ministry, international thing, and all the doors are slamming shut. My board in the United States is in chaos and financially everything's going haywire uh it, it, it was really ugly <clears throat> and again my time of prayer i'm just walking around the park and lord's like but you're where i told you to be right yeah but it doesn't make a whole lot of sense yeah but you know i told you to do this and so you know i'm with you so you're not rebelling so we're at peace everything's good it's all going to turn out fine right yep so take a deep breath you're good boy that's a big that's a that's a <laughs> totally different world from where, where I'm sitting right now with you guys. You know, we're thinking of doing a fourth ministry house where we keep bringing people on that the church is able to support. We've got good givers now. we got we got crazy. We have 10 young guys that were able to teach us seminars, pretty heavy theology. Uh, and we got probably 20 young men and women who could take a Sunday morning. Um, we just have to spend our time with the Lord, get our souls ready, and then we can get through anything. So that's about all I got for you. So that's the Lord's Prayer. Our Father's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the bread we need for today. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Don't lead us into it. Don't get let us get sucked into it, but deliver us from the evil one because that's where the evil one's going to get you. It's going to get you in that trial unless you're ready for it. Yeah, there's a lot more I could say, but I think I will just muddle things up. So I'll leave that alone. And uh, I just want to encourage you guys, your time at God's feet every day is not legalism. It is your very survival it's your survival. It's where you're preparing yourself for the next wave. And when that next wave hits, you're going to become stronger and better. And then that's going to prepare you for the next one. And then you're going to become strong. And that's exactly what James says. Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. When you get sucked in, don't blame God. The problem's with you. Grab some friends. Ask for some prayer. Say, God, what am I missing? Give me some wisdom so that I'm better prepared the next time the same thing hits me. All right. So I'm going to close in prayer, and then we can uh, get ready for our agape feast. So, Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. We do thank you for trials. Lord, we're in a world full of trials, and you don't create the trials. 
most of them are the byproduct of sin and foolishness and uh, us misusing the gifts you've given us. But when they hit our lives, Lord, you show us how to rise above them, how to benefit from them, how to grow closer to you through them. And I thank you, Lord, for the insight that you gave me into this that I've been struggling with for a long time. No matter what hard issue we don't understand, um, there's always a good answer. I thank you that you will give me the strength and the grace to go through whatever you've called me to. And I thank you that you have thus far. Um, that really at this point in my life, I, I don't want to be arrogant like Peter. But Lord, it just feels like whatever hits, uh, we have the tools um, to make it through successfully and to get to a higher place. So we love you. We bless you. We thank you for your word. And I pray that this would help people in here to press more deeply into you. So don't lead us into temptation, Lord, but deliver us from the evil one. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.